the recent wave of ChatGPT popularity, a few people noted how Google was forced to release a similar tool, although they could do it earlier but thought it wasn't ready yet. This is what Louis Rosenberg refers to in our conversation as an arms race. And while we discuss marketing in the metaverse, for me it's a bigger question of relationships between marketing and new technology. If there are no rules on how new technology can be used in marketing, you know that some companies will use it in a predatory way. In many cases, such use of technology is very profitable, and other companies have no choice but to do something similar or they will be out of business. This also applies to marketers on the individual level. If an unethical practice is widely spread and accepted in our profession, it makes it extremely hard for an ethical marketer to avoid doing it, which creates an internal psychological conflict. And now to the conversation. Hi, Luis. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Could you please introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Luis Rosenberg, and um, I have uh, have been involved in uh, in what's now called the metaverse for uh, uh, for over thirty years, and so I'm uh, very familiar with uh, both the, the the past and the present of this space. I, I actually got involved uh, all the way back in 1991 uh, as a as a researcher at uh, at Stanford University and NASA working on virtual reality. I, uh, I then went to, uh, to Air Force Research Laboratory in 1992 and started working on augmented reality, actually uh, developed uh, really one of the first augmented reality systems that, that, that exists. And then um, I was so excited by, the, by what I was doing in these research labs that in 1993, I founded one of the early virtual reality companies, a company called Immersion Corporation which uh, is actually still around. It'll turn 30 years old next year. Uh, it went public in 1999, so it's been, uh, it's been around for a long time. And uh, I left in 2002, and I founded an augmented reality company, Outland Research, uh, which focuses on the geospatial part of the, of the metaverse, and that was acquired by, by Google in, uh, in 2011. And currently, I am uh, the founder and CEO of an artificial intelligence company called Unanimous AI that looks at uh, using AI to connect groups of people together in shared environments and allowing them to make uh, better decisions. So I've been involved in this space uh, really from the beginning. I'm very excited about the potential. I'm a proponent of this technology. At the same time, I'm also very worried about the risks, and I, I speak often about uh, the dangers of the metaverse and the need uh, to think about uh, regulation and guardrails and, and policy. So I have uh, excitement and concerns. So, yeah, so as you mentioned, you've been writing a lot about the risks of the metaverse, and you say you have concerns, so do I. But why do you care about the ethics? Like, why is it a concern for you? I think that we are in the situation where, you know, I have to ask these questions because generally in the technology world, I don't see that a lot of people are concerned with these kind of questions. So why is this a concern for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, having been involved in this space for, for a long time, 
you know, my initial interest really was that I, I see this technology as humanizing. I mean, that's what got me interested in it. It's uh, whether it's virtual reality or augmented reality, the, the promise is that we can pre present information to people in the form that our senses were meant to receive it as spatial information all around us. And that's really, really powerful. It ultimately changes the role of the user from an outsider looking in at flat content, uh, images, documents, videos, to an insider that's experiencing digital content all around us. And it will enhance our understanding and it will enhance our intuition. And so, you know, for a long time, I was focused entirely on, on all of these very positive things. But at the same time, the same power, the same power to, uh, to impact us has a negative side. And it's not the technology itself that's dangerous or that concerns me. It's actually the extreme power that metaverse platforms could have over populations. And, you know, really over the last 10 years, the, the, this concern has uh, grown more and more for me, mostly because we're getting closer and closer to, to these large platforms really existing in a big way. But large platforms, whether they're controlled by corporations or state actors, could track billions of users throughout their day in the metaverse, which really means track everything they do, and then could manipulate the world around them, literally change the world that they're experiencing around them to impart targeted influence. That influence could be advertising. Uh, that influence could also be propaganda, ideology, manipulation, disinformation. And so we really need to think about it carefully. And I know that, you know, when I, when I say those things, a lot of people say, well, those problems already exist in social media. I would argue that without regulation, the metaverse could be significantly worse than social media. It will take the problems we're already seeing and amplify them to levels that we really can't imagine because the metaverse is so much more intimate than today's current flat media profile uh, platforms. I mean, really what we're talking about is the change of the digital ecosystem from a world built on flat media to a world built on immersive media. Immersive media has all kinds of amazing benefits, but it could give large platforms unbelievable power to, to influence people, uh, to manipulate people, and, uh, and we really need guardrails to protect against that. So you say that these platforms can be a lot more powerful than social media, and currently social media is seen as quite powerful already, and there's a, a growing number of people concerned with that power that they have and exercise to some extent, or, you know, there are some organizations who exploit that power. But I think it would be a good idea for people just to imagine, even maybe we can't imagine everything, but what are the really bad scenarios that could happen? What are the harms that can be produced by not a good use of the technology of the metaverse? Right. So comparing to social media is a, is a great, kind of a great place to start. And, and the parallels are really interesting because when social media first uh, emerged 10, 15 years ago in a big way, it was very much seen as a utopian technology. It had you know, really positive, positive uh, reasons to exist, to democratize the world, to give a voice to the voiceless. There, I mean, these are real benefits, but we ended up in 
kind of a dystopian reality of social media where it's driving polarization, misinformation, disinformation, extreme extremism. And, and again, it's not the tech that really caused that. It's the business models. And so the business models for social media as it has evolved is really about large platforms using their position of power to track their users, to profile their users, and to target their users. Uh, and that's what they've become experts at. They've become experts at tracking how people interact with their platforms, building these profiles over time, and then selling targeted influence uh, to third parties. Now, so if you say, well, what, you know, why would the metaverse be worse than that? Well, without regulation, it very much will adopt the same business model. But what we have to think about is, well, what does tracking and profiling mean? In social media, tracking and profiling means tracking where you click, what you buy, who your friends are. That's, you know, that's pretty extensive information. In the metaverse, and again, the metaverse really means both virtual and augmented reality, so uh, completely simulated worlds or the real world embellished with virtual content. In the metaverse, what tracking means, tracking, it means tracking where you go, tracking what you do, tracking who you're with, tracking what direction you're looking. If you're walking down the street in a virtual or augmented world, a platform could be tracking where do you slow down? What store windows do you look in? How long does your gaze linger? It, they could be tracking your gait and inferring emotional information from your gait. They could be tracking your posture, inferring uh, emotional information from your posture. They'll also be tracking and monitoring your facial expressions that's already being deployed into headsets uh, and get direct emotional information, monitoring your vocal inflections. They'll even be monitoring your vital signs. Currently, that, that ability is built into smartwatches, but uh, more and more companies are pushing to build that into earbuds and into headsets and, and other technologies. So be able to monitor your heart rate, respiration rate, blood pressure, uh, pupil dilation. So where social media basically tracks you know, where you click, the metaverse will track your entire life, what you do, what you say, what you experience, and what you feel while you're doing those things. And so they can build up really... Uh, extensive behavioral profiles, know exactly what you do at, at, throughout your day, and build up really detailed emotional profiles, how you how you feel throughout your day. And, uh, and using really just tr traditional AI on this extensive data, they can then build predictive models, predict what, what do they need to do to influence your behaviors? What do they need to do to influence your emotions? Which brings me to, you know, the other part of of the business model, which is targeting, selling targeted influence. In social media, uh, targeted influence means targeted advertising and curated news feeds. The curated news feeds are really to build up engagement so they can sell uh, better and better targeted advertising. But it's all, really all about uh, using this data uh, to sell persuasion. Well, in the metaverse, what does persuasion mean? Well, the whole point of virtual reality and augmented reality is to fool the senses. The metaverse is this transition from flat media to immersive media. And so advertising and propaganda in the metaverse, it's not going to be flat media. It's not going to be ads and, and videos that pop up. It's going to be immersive experiences, promotional experiences. And so let me give an example of, of why that's so different than what's happening on social media. Let's say, uh, let's say in the metaverse, I'm, I'm walking down the street, I'm walking down the street in a, a virtual or augmented world. And I just pass a young couple having a conversation about something, some great new restaurant they went to, 
or a new car that they just bought or a new movie that they just saw, whatever. And I, I walk by and I overhear maybe 20 seconds of the conversation and then our paths diverge. I might be influenced by that hearing that exchange because I might believe that that was an authentic encounter among other people in this world. What I might not realize at all is that that was a targeted promotional experience that was injected into my surroundings on behalf of a third party. That was a promotional experience. That's what advertising could be in the metaverse. And everything about that experience, the age, gender, ethnicity, clothing, speaking style of that virtual couple uh, could have been chosen by AI to maximize its influence on me personally. Based on my profile data, my, my behavioral, my emotional data, it could, you know, everything was crafted to be as influential on me as possible, uh, which again, uh, that technology exists. And it, even the dialogue between the couple could have been custom crafted based on a record of my personal interests, my values, my personality. Uh, and because these platforms are going to be able to track my facial expressions, my eye motions, uh, my pupil dilation, all of that in real time. They can already do that. The current devices from Meta already can track your facial expressions and pupil dilation. What does that mean? That means if I was walking by and I heard this conversation, it might feel like I'm just passively overhearing something, but the platform could see, oh, you know, could be watching for my pupils to dilate and recognize, oh, he uh, he's paying attention. And they're talking about this new car. And when we talk about the performance of the car, his blood pressure goes up a little bit. Let's shift the conversation towards that. And so what could feel like just a passive serendipitous, I overheard some people, can be a targeted advertisement. It's actually adapting to me in real time to maximize persuasion. That's really, really dangerous, especially because I might not even have any idea that that was promotional. I might just think that it was just an experience in this world. And yeah, you know, Selling me a new car like that doesn't sound like a, you know, a threat to humanity. But if it was you know, a, a couple you know, sitting at a table next to me in a virtual coffee shop and they were talking about you know, some political ideology, uh, some misinformation, disinformation, and I happen to overhear it, I think it's a real authentic encounter. I don't realize it was targeted. And by targeted, I mean in this virtual world, I'm seeing this, but the person sitting next to me might be seeing something completely different. So it's it's an experience that I'm having. It's not authentic. It's a targeted. It could be uh, put in there to influence me on anything from product or, or services to propaganda and disinformation and misinformation. And it could be adaptive in real time, meaning it's adjusting based on my physiological reactions during uh, while overhearing this exchange. And it it will very likely go even further, whereas instead of me just passively overhearing a conversation, there will be AI agents, I, I call them uh, virtual spokespeople, who will just engage me directly in promotional conversation. That will be another form of advertising in the metaverse. A, uh, a person, uh, you know, that a virtual, uh, an AI-controlled avatar that looks and sounds like anyone else in the world, can engage me in conversation. Maybe they were just sitting next to me at that table in the virtual coffee house. And while it might feel and look and sound like an authentic experience, a serendipitous experience with another user, it could be a promotionally targeted experience controlled by AI with an agenda. And that agenda is, is to convince me of something. And the conversation that I have with this AI can adapt itself in real time based on 
my blood pressure and pupil dilation and facial expressions. That's why, you know, I, you know, I see the metaverse, if there's no guardrails in place, as really being the ultimate tool of persuasion. It goes beyond marketing to manipulation, to really to predatory practices and allowing people to realize how dangerous it could get, uh, hopefully uh, will inspire policymakers and, and the industry itself to put guardrails in place so that we can trust these worlds and we can have healthy advertising and healthy marketing and other experiences that don't cross that boundary to uh, really to predatory manipulative practices that would be very easy to, to implement in the metaverse. You say like we need to show the society the danger of the potential risk of this technology. How do we do that? Social media is a good example, but there is a step further. I think that currently technology is penetrating people's lives in the form of Google Home and Alexa sitting in people's houses 24 hours a day, listening to their conversations. And most people, they have no idea what's going on. They don't know like what the technology behind it, how, how it works, what kind of data is collected, where, where is the boundary between private conversation, where the private conversation ends and the command like, hey, Siri starts. Where is this boundary? People don't even think about that. They seem to eager to use the convenience provided by technology and don't really consider the dangers, the potential risks that technology brings. Absolutely. So there's a big challenge. Uh, the challenge is that people are too trusting of, of new technologies, especially in this information space. We experience that with social media. I mean, social, I mean, I, It, it's worth saying, I don't see the, the social media companies as evil. I don't believe that they started out with this goal of saying, hey, let's build companies whose entire focus is to, to track and profile and target people in you know, manipulative ways. I think that they, they launched these businesses with good intentions. Uh, there were no guardrails in place. Uh, at the same time, the consumers didn't want to pay subscriptions They were very happy, very eager to say, yeah, give it to me for free in exchange for advertising. Uh, I think that they were, I think the public was naive because they were thinking that this was similar to radio and television where you get stuff for free in exchange for advertising and didn't really realize that social media is different because it works in both directions. It's not just information being streamed to you. They're able to collect information about you and that change in bidirectionality It's really, really different. Uh, I think the public is more aware, certainly more aware over the last couple of years than uh, over the last decade that, okay, that, that trade-off in social media has caused problems. There was actually a piece of research done by Paul, uh, Pew Research where they polled uh, Americans and asked you know, their view of social media. And I think 67% of Americans thought social media was damaging to society. That's a really... Uh, a high statistic. And it shows that the, you know, the perception, the trust that the public has towards this space is very, very low. And in the metaverse, it could be much lower. And so in terms of, um, you know, what's going to motivate policymakers and motivate the industry to put guardrails in place? Well, the first is I, I would hope that they, they would see 
that there's a really low lack of, of really low trust among consumers in the, in the entire social media space. And if they don't put guardrails, guardrails in place, that will expand to the metaverse. And people will realize very quickly if they're being manipulated in the metaverse if the, and, and the trust will go away uh, rapidly. And so putting guardrails in place is a way to actually for the industry to protect a repeat of what happened with social media. I mean, you know, Facebook now meta, you know, has lost 70% of its value on, in the stock market over the last 12 months. Uh, that's substantially due to uh, this you know, loss of trust uh, among the public. I really don't think companies want to repeat that in the metaverse. At the same time, you, you know, policymakers, I talk to policymakers all the time in the US and, and all over the world. And one of the questions that they always bring up is, is kind of what you said, which is, hey, you know, we already can't figure out how to, you know, how to put policy and guardrails in place for social media. Like, how can we think about doing that for the metaverse? You know, is it too early to do that for the metaverse? And my answer to them is the reason it's difficult to put guardrails in place for social media is that the policymakers waited a decade too long. Uh, they waited so long that massive corporations built their entire business models around predatory practices. And if you try to put guardrails in place now and say those predatory practices are not allowed, these companies will implode and so they will fight it every way they can. The metaverse is in a very different state. The business models have not been fully developed. They're in fact in you know, they're just emerging what the business models could be and should be. And so guardrails that are put in place now actually can make a difference. They could steer the industry in a different direction. If we, for example, said if policymakers or the industry uh, agreed, you know, being able to track people's emotions in real time and use that to make adaptive advertisements that are going to adapt its tactics based on your facial expressions and your blood pressure and your heart rate and your pupil dilation. If we said, you know what, that's, that's off limits. That's manipulative. That's predatory. We can't do that. If we said that now, it wouldn't hurt any metaverse companies. They're not yet doing it, even though those capabilities are now being deployed, literally. Uh, you know, the first headsets with the ability to track pupil and eye motion and, and facial expressions are just starting to be sold uh, by meta. If we said you can't do those things, then the business, then the, the industry can focus on competing in different ways. They can compete on generating the best experiences possible for consumers, uh, the most artistic and entertaining and educational experiences. Even in the world of advertising, they can compete on making the most creative and funny and, and interesting experiences in the metaverse for advertising and not, you know, use these physiological abilities to, to manipulate people. But if there aren't guardrails, then even companies who don't want to do that, who feel like, you know what, that's a bad idea, are going to be put under pressure as soon as one of their competitors starts doing it. And it will become this arms race where they will be ultimately competing to see, you know, who could make the, you know, the most accurate behavioral models using AI and adapt advertisements in real time based on uh, human behaviors and, and make you know, the most efficient forms of persuasion possible. Like that will be the arms race unless there's guardrails. And, and the truth is, like, I think those guardrails help the industry. They help the industry a lot because I am sure that they didn't get into them. These companies didn't get into the metaverse to, uh, you know, to create these really manipulative forms of persuasion. They got into the metaverse because they think it's, there's amazing things you can do. 
And with guardrails, they can compete on those amazing, uh, amazing values for customers rather than on these you know, far more dangerous directions for technology. You mentioned that technology Meta just started to sell. So it's kind of started already. I think Snowden tweeted the other day that Meta can already track if you if you saw the ad or maybe you weren't really watching. So they can see if your eyeballs are on the ad or not. It's like YouTube, no skip ad, but for real. Yeah, and they can and they can track how effective the ad was. They could track even even if your eyeballs are on it, are you even paying attention? Yeah. Looking at your pupil dilation, they can uh, they can potentially uh, you know get a sense of of what you're attending to, not even just what you're looking at. And the other scary thing about about using this type of biometric data, because sometimes people will say, well. You know, what's the big deal of looking at your facial expressions? If I go into a store, a salesperson, a real salesperson can see my facial expressions and we'll use that. The, the danger is that when an AI is sitting behind these systems, looking at your facial expressions, looking at, they can actually not just detect overt expressions, they can detect what are called micro expressions, expressions that are so fast and subtle that a, a human couldn't have seen it, so fast and subtle that you might not even like realize that you're feeling it, but micro expressions can you know can get an insight into your subconscious, you know, your subconscious thoughts and, and uh, or feelings about things. Uh, there's, a, there's another technology that just uses a camera that can look at um, blood flow patterns on your face, just really subtle changes in your complexion, um, and that can indicate emotions. You can get emotional data from that. And emotional data that another human couldn't uh, wouldn't necessarily notice. So it's not that they're just giving a you know an advertisement the capability that a human salesperson would have. They're giving an advertisement superhuman capabilities, and these uh, these systems could be tracking how you respond over time. So you know if in the metaverse. I could be going about my daily life, especially with augmented reality, where I'm just out my day, and they could build up a behavioral profile to know how do I respond to thousands of different little interactions that I have every day and build up these models of, well, if I want to influence that person, I have this huge history of, of what things trigger them, what things influence them, what, you know, what excites them, what makes them angry, and be able to, again, create these experiences that are so manipulative and we might not even know that they were promotional experiences. Like to me, that's the most dangerous thing, which is that a metaverse platform can change the world around you and you might not have any idea what was changed and what's just authentic. And that could be virtual product placements or virtual spokespeople, entire virtual experiences. You know, I could be walking down a street and see, uh, you know, a protest happening outside of some, you know, some government building. And I think like, oh, that's, you know, that's a reflection of my community and not realize, no, that was a targeted experience that was put there for me to see. And if I don't have rights that say, you know, you can't do that. If something is put in there as a targeted experience, I have the right to know that it's promotional. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I think the most basic fundamental right that people should have in the metaverse is the what, what I would call the, the right to experiential authenticity, meaning if something is put into my world, a virtual product placement or you know, some, some virtual people having a conversation that I overhear, if that's targeted, 
that should have to look different. It should have to look and sound different so that that virtual couple sitting next to me in the coffee house that's talking about a new car, if it looks different, I, I see it and I know, oh, that's an advertisement. At least I can leverage my natural skepticism and know, okay, that's, that's an advertisement. And that's one of the really big differences that is that in today's world, at least for adults, you pretty much know what is an advertisement and what's not. I mean, there's some places where there's a boundary, but if a video pops up, you know it's an advertisement. You see a billboard on the highway, you know it's an advertisement. In the metaverse, there are, there are currently no guardrails in place that guarantee that you will know the difference between an authentic experience with some other person and a promotional experience that was put there to target you. And that is super dangerous. Yeah, so this comes down and a lot of conversations come down to disclosure and transparency. I would argue that not many adults can distinguish between an ad and organic experience in digital world currently. An interesting example for me is Google search result page. 15 years ago, you could easily tell the ad from organic result. But over those years, I've been working with Google Ads all these years, and you could just see them redesigning the result page in a way that ads started to look more and more like organic. And currently, only professionals, people that work in marketing and other technology, they know the difference. The point is that the corporations such as Google, they definitely see the benefit in not having that transparency. They don't want to disclose because they realize that they can earn more profit by making things look organic. And so the question I want to ask, the potential for those corporations to monetize the metaverse in a way that if they can do a, a product placements, ad placements in a way that is undisclosed, as you mentioned, there could be some characters uh, walking around, having conversations, and you wouldn't even know that those are AI-generated characters targeting specifically you, and that, that is not disclosed. So definitely corporations are going to want that kind of experience to happen because that's I'm sure that's the most profitable way for them. If there will be guardrails put in place that prevent this kind of ad placements, let's say, you know, you have to disclose that this is an ad. Do you think there will be less interest in the metaverse from the advertising perspective, which could result into, you know, less money invested, less interest. Is the whole metaverse thing driven by the capacity of manipulation? Right. So I, you know, I believe that there's remarkable and compelling methods of advertising in the metaverse, which are, you know, experiential, creating experiential advertisements that are not manipulative and are not predatory. I, I, and I think that the advertisers would be would be very happy to use those methods unless there was some other method that was incrementally more effective. So it's it's not that the methods you know have some guardrails around them would be ineffective. They could be extremely effective. Uh, they would just wouldn't be deceptive and they wouldn't be manipulative. And so you know going back to your Google example, which is which is a great one. You know with Google 
Google search, you know, the top few results are generally sponsored. Uh, there is a little indication that says it's an ad. Uh, I always have to remind myself to look. It's an ad. And it's it's not that I don't want to be manipulated. It's that I generally, you know, the ads generally aren't as good search results. So you want better search results, you, you skip down. You have to remind yourself because they did they have made it more subtle. If there were rules in place that said how overt they have to be, then they would be less subtle. I don't think they would lose a single advertiser because it wouldn't be a better place to go. I mean, what a lack of guardrails does is it just creates this arms race where companies uh, have to outdo each other. And uh, and if they can show a slightly you know, greater click rate, then advertisers will go to that slightly greater click rate. But if the guardrail was in place, that opportunity wouldn't be there the same people would still advertise to get their search results at the top. It just wouldn't be edging towards deception. The same thing will happen in the metaverse. I actually think advertisers, especially advertising agencies, would benefit if the technology is less manipulative because now they can compete on you know creative content. There's all kinds of amazing creative content. You, know, you can imagine. Let's say you're you know you advertise an, an energy drink with augmented reality, right? And you could imagine that you're you know, somebody's in a real store and they reach out and they, you know, they, they pick up a, a Red Bull off the shelf. And, and when they pick that up, you know, they suddenly for, you know, for five seconds have the experience of skydiving and, and it's immersive and it's, it's amazing. And they put that Red Bull down and they, they pick up another one and suddenly they're scuba diving. And, and so they're, they're selling, they're promoting their brand, they're promoting their image, they're creating these experiences that people want. Nobody's confused that that's a you know that's a real or authentic experience. There's nobody's using your blood pressure. They're just using creativity, and so the metaverse opens up a world of creativity that is immense. Like the opportunity for advertisers is phenomenal. They don't need these manipulative tactics, but the platforms who are trying to compete with you know in a very statistical way to show that you know. Their advertisements perform, you know, one percent better than than the other companies' advertisements. They will, they're going to use blood pressure if they can. They will yeah. because they yeah. can get a. And so the you know guardrails are good for advertisers. <laughs> they're good for the industry if they want to maintain trust, and they also means that they don't they don't have to compete with other companies who who go in that direction. And there are you know there are guardrails like in in the U.S. You can't put cigarette advertisements on TV. Uh, mm-hmm. You cannot advertise that. Now, there was a time 50 years ago that they were you know, that was the some of the biggest advertising on TV. What that guardrail did was it said, okay, companies in that space don't have to compete with each other on for, for paying for television ads for that product, and they would compete in other ways. It's a guardrail really allows the industry to compete in. It defines a playing field and it allows them to compete in in other ways. And in the metaverse, you know, the way that I would hope that uh, companies and brands compete is by providing really engaging, creative, funny, entertaining, education, educational content rather than competing on you know, the ability to, to track and profile and deceive and manipulate, which could get really, really dangerous. So it's more like the metaverse allows you to do the more traditional marketing but in a new space. With magical capabilities, right? Yeah. I mean... Yeah. By traditional, I mean creativity-driven. Yes. N- not just this uh, arms race, as you mentioned, and exploiting technology to the uh, unimaginable extent where what we're seeing with the social media, where 
as much tracking is used as possible. You know, if we don't have any kind of regulations, we know those corporations would go to uh, all limits and beyond. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, you know, marketeers in social media, you know, do a lot of creative stuff, but there are also, there are, there's also just pure data science. <laughs> and, and that's really what drives marketing in social media to be, to be manipulative and to create these problems, to create polarization, put people in their own information bubbles. It's because people are being treated as data rather than people being treated as somebody that you want to entertain in a creative way. And, and in the metaverse, the, meta, the data is so much more extensive and it's real time that the potential danger is so much worse. So what do you think about the current state of regulations uh, when it comes to social media and extensibility to the metaverse? Things like GDPR, and there was some news recently that CCPA started to take more serious steps. So, yes. So there, you know, some in certain regions, there's been strides made to protect privacy, protect data. Uh, GDPR is a, a positive step. The U.S. does not have that equivalent, but it does influence U.S. companies because they have to. Um, they still they can't violate the GDPR, so that's that's positive. And so I think data privacy. You know, people are getting more sophisticated and more thoughtful about data privacy. I, I think the place where where policymakers really need to get educated when it comes to the metaverse is the fact that it's it's real time, meaning in the metaverse. It's not just about tracking data about people. It's being able to actually observe them in real time and create a feedback loop where you're, you're actually influencing them. You're adjust your potential to, a, you know, to adjust a persuasive tactic watching somebody's reactions. And that's not really contemplated by, by GDPR or, or Um, by other existing policies. I just saw that in, in the UK, the IOC is actually, they are planning to announce something about emotional tracking in 2023, which I think it starts to go in this direction because emotions really are, they start to go more in real time. And there are special dangers around what happens when, if a platform can actually look at your reactions while they're happening and adapt to them in real time. Because again, it goes from, marketing to manipulation. And so um, I, you know, I would really encourage policymakers to really just think about this subtle difference. It's, it sounds like a small thing, the fact that you can create this loop, but uh, I, I actually just, uh, I just wrote an article for the, the, uh, the Future Marketing Institute, uh, which it's called uh, the metaverse from marketing to mind control, because when you can put a feedback loop around somebody, And actually have an AI that's um, that's looking at your facial expressions and blood pressure and adapting, you really can be manipulated. It really does go towards mind control. And, and the way I like to describe it is say is saying, look, we can build AI systems that can be beat the world's best chess player and poker player and go player. What chance does a consumer have if They're being advertised to by an interactive system that's adjusting itself to your blood pressure. No chance. There are so many data points that AI can look at when people are in, in the metaverse. But, uh, how, who, who decides 
where the boundaries are like this we can use this we can't sometimes you say that's you know that crosses the line but how how do we define that like where is is the boundary yeah i mean that's that's the you know the big question you know meta just launched their new their new headsets with you know with emotion tracking with you know facial and and eye motions and they put out very you know a, a very detailed privacy policy and the privacy policy really has you know defines what people can use what developers can use that data for not use that data for and it's clear in the privacy policy they're they're trying to head in the right direction and so like i i would say that there's you know you could look at that document from the outside and say that you know, they're trying to be responsible but the question is well who who enforces this who you know if you're putting if they're if you're putting the burden on the developer uh, which this you know their privacy policy does who polices that who enforces that what are the penalties and are they putting the same uh, restrictions on themselves? I, I do think it's positive for the industry to to put these types of restrictions in place. But if they have no enforceability and no consequences, then it's going to you know it's not going to ultimately protect the public. And so I you know I suspect it's going to be up to governments to put restrictions in place. That protect the public. It could it could be thought of as consumer protections in in the metaverse, where you know there are just certain things that are that are off limits, certain things that are deemed to be predatory and manipulative, and not just traditional advertising. You know, it's very clear that corporations are pushing for a certain future, and they would want to lobby as few restrictions as possible. So what do you think, how individuals, the professionals who work in the field of the metaverse, the developers, the designers, how do they feel about those risks? What is the level of awareness uh, when it comes to ethical problems? So I think, I mean, I think there's certainly more awareness at, you know, if we look at like, you know, here's an industry that's in its early stages. And so in the early stages, I think there is more awareness than there normally would have been because of what happened with social media and because it's some of the very same companies that lost trust in social media. So people are you know, wary of what's going to happen in the metaverse. I do think that developers have some awareness. There are some, there are some good organizations out there that are trying to really educate people. Uh, when it comes to technical people and developers, there's an organization called the XR Guild that is working hard to, to educate people from, you know, from the developer level to be responsible, to really push organizations from, from the inside to avoid predatory practices. Uh, there's uh, a, a, a other organizations that are working at different levels. There's uh, the XR Safety Initiative, XRSI, that uh, works really hard to promote standards and best practices to educate uh, companies at, at higher levels about what's the best way to push towards a safe metaverse. Uh, and I, I'm involved with XRSI. I'm also involved with an organization called the Responsible Metaverse Alliance that's focused uh, more on uh, on policy and on educating policymakers in countries around the world. 
so they understand the risks and they can think about pushing for policy before it's too late. I'm sure there are other organizations that, that I'm not familiar with that are doing this type of work, but I do think it's you know it's up to you know, people who are knowledgeable to really educate developers, corporations, policymakers, and the general public about the dangers. And it's worth mentioning the general public because you know one of the best ways to steer the industry in a safer direction is to push for other other business models. Push for other business models that are not you know entirely based on advertising. You know, consumers were not willing to pay subscriptions. Uh, for social media, would they be willing to pay subscriptions for metaverse platforms? Maybe. I, I think that there's a reasonable argument there. Also, metaverse platforms have entirely new business models that can emerge based on commerce that happens in these worlds. And so the big question is, you know, you know, consumers, if consumers are educated enough or aware enough to demand a safe metaverse, would that gu- help guide the industry? Maybe. I, I think, you know, I... I really do think it's going to come down to you know, policy and regulation, because as soon as you know, these companies struggle with financial results, their first reaction is to, you know, to push towards advertising, because that selling advertising, because that, that works. And we actually just saw that one of the bigger you know, metaverse platforms right now is, is Roblox, which is for kids. You know, they have over 50 million kids. It's a successful platform. They work very hard to make it safe for kids. They're, you know, they're a good company. They, a month ago, I think, uh, announced their financial results for the quarter, and they maybe uh, didn't meet analyst expectations. And then they announced that starting in 2023, they're going to start having immersive advertising for kids. I think that's really dangerous. And I think it's, I think that if a platform that is focused on kids is already feeling pressured to go for towards immersive advertising versus other business models, then we could probably expect all platforms to feel those pressures very early on and and go in that direction. The reason I'm especially worried about, you know, immersive advertising for kids is that kids have a much harder time already telling the difference between and something authentic and something that's promotional. And so imagine you're a kid in the metaverse and some giant teddy bear comes, you know, wandering over to you, you know, talking to you about some new brand of cereal and they're walking along beside you acting like they're your friend. Are you, are you even going to, like, is that kid going to realize that this is a commercial? Probably not. I mean, kids already, you know, it depends on their age, but you know, kids already, they see a cartoon character on, on, you know, TV commercial and could be confused that it's an advertisement. If it just seems like it's another character in your world, this you know, big friendly teddy bear that knows your name and is following you around, like the ability of that to be manipulative is extreme. And I'm not saying that that's what Roblox plans to do, but there should be guardrails in place that say you can't do that because if there aren't, then somebody's going to be the first to do that. And if it works, it's going to drive the whole industry in that direction. Yeah. So with that said, how do you feel about the future? Are you feeling pessimistic or optimistic? <laughs> um, I think you know, I have mixed feelings. I, I do think that there's all kinds of really positive things that these technologies can do. And I do think that you know, if platforms like Roblox and Minecraft are really creative worlds for kids. And, and there's, there's really, there are positive things. Those same positive things you know, will exist for adults. And so 
I, I do think that there is a really positive pathway for virtual reality and augmented reality in this metaverse. But unless we really you know, put guardrails in place, it could go in a really dark direction, a really manipulative direction. And, and you know, that's what we saw happen with social media. And I think that there, I am optimistic in that I am seeing more and more interest from policymakers around the world who are saying, you know, who realize the potential danger. I'll mention one other activity or, or event that I think is also valuable and interesting. There's, there's something called a Metaverse Safety Week happening in December that is really about raising awareness. They hope to make it an, an annual event, but there are policymakers from around the world who who are really paying attention to it. So I, I do think that there is genuine attention being applied to these dangers. And I'm hopeful that the industry and governments won't go down the same path as social media. There is a reasonable chance that guardrails get put in place. Okay. Well, where can my listeners find you on the web? And maybe if you want to recommend something for them to read on, on the matter. Yeah, I can be found uh, most easily on LinkedIn. I post a lot of my content there. I also I post it on, on Twitter. Uh, you can just look for Louis Rosenberg. I write often about the metaverse for, uh, and especially the dangers for, uh, for VentureBeat and for, uh, for Big Think. I have, I just wrote a couple recent articles about, specifically about the, the dangers of the metaverse. You can, you can check out on, uh, on Big Think or, or VentureBeat. And anyone who is, you know, who is a policymaker or, you know, is active in this field, I'm always happy to, you know, send information so people can, uh, people can certainly contact me on LinkedIn. For now, I'll thank Luis for coming on the show. Thank you, Luis. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I want to thank the audience for listening to conversations about ethical problems in marketing and making our profession better. If you like this podcast, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. That's it for now. And until next time. Bye.